it is good to see you. Can you get this microphone? You got me? Okay. I, I want to, uh, it's, good, it's good seeing you all again. Um, I, just to update, I see a surgeon on Monday next week to figure out what happens. And I knew I always messed up, but here we go. We're messed up again, right? Um, today, we are honored. Uh, Central Christian College of the Bible and the Financial Planning Ministry are here today. Uh, we've got an estate planning uh, seminar following the service downstairs uh, and it's to help people establish living trust, figure out what's going on with wills, and what is it that they need to do as they prepare for heaven and leaving things behind here for the ones that they love. And so that's happening following the service uh, at, at 12, 1230, all right? That'll be down in the fellowship hall. Central Christian College is a, is a ministry that has been going on for quite a while here in the state of Missouri. We're new to them in support as a church. We have financially supported St. Louis Christian College for years, uh, but Central and St. Louis merged last year into a, a new entity that uh, is making a difference in our community as well. And uh, I, I know that the merge took place last year, but I often tell people that the merge began back in 1986 in reality. Uh, that was when my wife, who had been a student at Central Christian College, and I was at St. Louis, and we got married. So. Uh, this is nothing new for us, but uh, we have with us Dr. David Fincher. He is the president of Central Christian College uh, of the Bible, which is up in Moberly, Missouri, and in St. Louis, Missouri, and in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio, and I don't know where else you're going to take over, but it is a wonderful college, and I, I just welcome him, and uh, David, come on up, please. Well, it is a pleasure to be here today, and, and, and that, that joke actually never gets old. He's not the first person that's told it to me either. You, there, there are several people who, who say their lives uh, pre previewed the merger uh, through their marriages or, or through their children or their ministries or something like that, and I'm, I'm proud to be a, a part of fulfilling prophecy, so that's, that's good. Um, it is, a, it is a pleasure to be here for the first time. I, I don't think I've been in, in, the, in the church here before. I've known John for a few years through the Missouri Christian Convention, but uh, uh, glad to be a part of this service today. And we do have a table out there with some information, and as I talk a little bit this morning, I'm going to um, give you a chance to, to see some of the things that, that uh, you might want to stop by and ask me about. I typically don't talk about the college a lot during the church service. A lot of times we'll have a a special hour to do that, and then I'll preach a sermon. But I was asked to make that part of the sermon today, and, and there's ways to do that, so I think I'll be able to. But first, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I started attending Central in 1989 and graduated from there in 1993. I'm from southwest Missouri originally, down in uh, near Lebanon, Missouri. So I, I was honestly uh, kind of torn to all three schools in the state, kind of the same distance from all of them, and uh, for good measure, I had a friend going to Manhattan Christian College that tried to get me to go there. So uh, uh, Christian colleges have been really part of my understanding of the importance of the church since going to church camp and seeing all the different camp teams from different uh, schools come and represent. 
Um, we attended Gasconade Christian Camp. I'm not sure which camp you go to, but Gasconade was ours down I-44, and, and, uh, and that's how I learned about Christian colleges and saw the importance of it because I saw the ministers that had gone to those different colleges, and I saw the camp teams, which were basically future ministers who were coming to visit us, and, and all the different values of that became clear to me. I met my wife at, at Christian College in uh, a high school event in 1989, and she came a couple of years later, and we were married. We've been married now uh, 31 years. Uh, all three of my kids attended and graduated from Central. Two of them met their spouse there, and the, the black sheep, my daughter married a guy who went to the campus house in Columbia, which is good enough for me. Uh, he's a wonderful young man, and we're very happy for, for both of them. So all three of my kids are, are married and, 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 and serving the Lord in their own ways, and, and they and I and my wife and our families are 100% committed to ministry education for the Christian church. And it's not just based on my experience personally, but it's based on what I've seen in the state of Missouri, in the border states of Missouri, where our colleges have served faithfully and thanks to the support of churches like this and individuals like you, have been able to really change lives. Not just the lives of our own youth group, which is an important thing to do. We have young people who, uh, you know, we invest in for years and years in the youth ministry. And wherever they went right now, I'm sure they're being well treated. If you're here for the first time and your kid just left you to go somewhere else in the building, don't worry. They'll take good care of them there. You will get them back, I promise. We take great care of our kids. And then when they get out of the house, they need a place where they can grow into a faith of their own and have some experiences that help them grow. And that's part of what ministry education does. There have been many things that Christian colleges do really well. We need scholars who will invest in our movement. I've got two commentaries to give away out there from Professor Gareth Reese, who's written, I think, about 14 commentaries on the New Testament. And if you fill out one of the cards that's there, either a red or a gray one, you'll be in a drawing. I'll give two of those away at the end of, uh, uh, at the, end of the second hour. And, and people who study and write and teach at the depth of being able to explain what our Scripture means and how it is applicable today are important. And those people typically serve in Christian colleges. We need an environment where students can meet others from the body of Christ and, and see that life is not just about rural Laclede County where I grew up, but that there's Christians from all over the state of Missouri and all over the United States and even some from other countries that are coming to college and have an experience that's valuable and vital to learn about. We need support networks and fellowship for our alumni because as they go out into the ministry, sometimes they drop out. And one of the reasons they drop out is because they don't know where they could go serve that might fit better their family situation or their personal strengths. And our Christian colleges do that. We need places where young adults who have messed up their lives for the last five years but have turned it around can go and live in a community where they'll be loved and accepted and they can grow in their own faith and in their knowledge of the Scripture. And, and, and Central does that as well. This is not just a message about Christian college, but it is a message called Ministry Education Strengthens the Church. I want you to understand what ministry education means to the church. We'll see it in the Scripture. It's more clear than you probably think how important ministry education is to the church. And, and honestly, your partnership with ministry education at Central Christian College of the Bible helps fulfill Jesus' 
expectation that we pray for more workers for the harvest. Now, you may think that that prayer is just when you close your eyes and fold your hands and ask God to raise up more workers for the harvest. But actually, every time someone sends a check to support the college, that's kind of a prayer. It's, it's sort of an act of trust, an offering to God, saying, God, you're going to raise up workers with this. I don't know who they are. They may never meet me. But what I'm doing is an act of faith and, and a prayer of petition that you will do something with that. So thank you for being that kind of a church that would support ministry education like that. There's four kinds of ministry education that benefits a church like yours. And I just want you to know about this before we get into the text, because I think it helps the text be a little more clear. The first kind is what I call the traditional coming-of-age experience for a young adult. We do that in Moberly now. We did not keep the campus in St. Louis. Um, there were a lot of reasons for that. We, we didn't need both, and there were some reasons that that campus would be better suited to a different kind of ministry. So there's an there's a international Christian school that... that utilizes that campus now for their ministry, and I'm, I'm happy that they're able to have that future there. But we bring students to a, a town kind of like Union. It's a, it's a pretty safe town, about 15,000 people in Moberly, sits on the highway. Students can come there, be, be uh, able to meet others from the body of Christ, learn how to become a minister, missionary, counselor, youth minister. And I think we just had 20 kids at the Orange Conference in Atlanta who drove down there together to see what it's like to be, you know, top-tier youth ministers and get charged up to come back and think about a life of becoming a youth minister. Those are the kinds of things that can happen in that traditional coming-of-age experience. It's not for everyone, though. Not, not everybody wants to go back to be a freshman, and I understand that. And that's one of the reasons why we have a degree completion program through online education, and, and hopefully in the fall of 2024, we'll start that back up in the St. Louis location, where people can drive in or, or log on and finish a degree that they started years ago. And one of the greatest opportunities that we have in the church is to find the people in our churches that never finished college. There's 40 million people in the United States who took some college but never completed a degree. To tell those people about Christian higher education, much of which can be paid for by financial aid that they are already eligible for, and they can both complete a degree and learn about God's Word at the same time, right here in your own church. And I hear those stories all the time from people who in the past did that at St. Louis Christian College. It was a wonderful program where they could drive in one night a week and go to class and go back to their church and serve in their church. And, and we will have something similar to that when we get uh, all the hurdles uh, cleared that we need to do for that. We also see ministry education in a graduate program for those who are currently in the ministry or another career and they need to take their leadership to the next level. The youth minister who wants to learn how to preach or the former school teacher who wants to be a children's minister or a person who was on the police force and is tired of trying to fight crime on the back end of it and instead wants to try to work with the hearts of people on the front end, leading a church and preaching the gospel. And there's ways that you can polish your leadership, grow in your preaching and step into a new role of leadership at whatever age you are. And then finally, continuing education for ministers and church leaders to keep up on topics and issues of interest. So just last month, we had uh, a person come and teach ministers uh, about various ways that they can uh, 
publicize and, and tell the story of their congregation using their core values and social media and, and making it something that their communities know about. And we had ministers who came to listen to that and answer questions and things like that. And, and we do things in, in Cincinnati and, and Moberly also where people can come and learn truths about the Bible and archaeology that prove that the Bible's true. It's, it's incredible to see people's eyes open up when they see something about the Bible they never knew before. I, li- I like to say to our, our senior citizens, come to our Cincinnati site. We just had uh, two dozen of them this week. And, and if I were there, I say this line. You know, it doesn't make you feel so old when you look at something that's 5,000 years old. And we have those kinds of things there that were from the time of the Bible that show us something about the Bible is true that you can see right in front of you. We have coins that are 4,000 years old that have the names and faces of people that the Bible talk about. You know, right there behind, behind glass, and then we get them out and you can put them in your hand and see, well, that's how they paid for stuff 4,000 years ago. And, and you can read about it in the scripture. So that kind of continuing education is important as well. All of those are ways that CCCB tries to make an impact on local churches. This morning we're going to see in Acts chapter 16, one person's life and how it made a massive impact because of something similar to ministry education. And we're going to see how the things that Timothy experienced are the same things that people today need to be drawn to to live a faithful life of kingdom ministry. And whether it's your church doing that in other people who are studying, or even in your own life, I think you'll see those milestones of a faithful life of kingdom ministry are something that affect all of us. Acts chapter 16, we're starting the second missionary journey. Paul and Silas leave Jerusalem to go on it, and they go back to the churches where Paul had been a few years before. There's a lot in the text we're not going to talk about this morning. This is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And and trust me when I say if we went through it verse by verse, we'd still be here tomorrow. But I'll try to give you enough that I think you'll get the idea of what we're looking for here. Acts chapter 16, we see Timothy growing through three milestones of an experience, an educational experience that helped him and then later helped him strengthen the church. And these three areas are critical for all of us. We all need to grow in these areas in order to work for the Lord and grow to our full potential. So the first one is the area of making serious commitments. Let's look at verses 1 through 3, Acts chapter 16. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. Well, we're going to stop there with some serious commitment that he made there in verse 1. He achieved a faithful milestone. Notice that he's called a disciple. This is not a word used lightly in the New Testament or in the book of Acts. It's a word used for people who are serious about their commitment to the Lord. Now, Paul spoke highly of Timothy's mother and grandmother, who in 2 Timothy 1.5 were noted for their influence on his life spiritually. And according to 2 Timothy 3.14 and 15, he learned the scripture from them from the earliest age. It's possible that Timothy may have become a believer on Paul's first missionary journey when it says that he made many disciples. Acts chapter 14 verse 21. In the three towns that he visited, one of which was 
uh, two of which were these towns of Derby and Lystra, he made many disciples. So Timothy might have come to know the Lord then, or he might have become a believer after Paul left, and somebody else there led him to the Lord. But either way, he came out in the same place as a disciple, a word not used lightly in the book of Acts. Let's look at verse 2. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Another milestone there of this serious commitment was encouraging leaders speaking into his life. There were amazing godly leaders in these churches. If you don't think that they were amazing godly leaders, you got to go back to chapter 14 and read what they went through when they came to Christ. Paul was stoned. They stepped in to stop it. Paul was left for dead. They took him and nursed him back to health. He said to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And their response wasn't, oh, not for me, I'm out. Their response was, okay, if that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God, we're doing it. And then he appointed elders who would lead them to do that. So these are people of the highest quality of their Christianity, and they knew Timothy well enough to encourage him and endorse him to Paul. Now, according to 1 Timothy 4.14, it says that Timothy had had hands laid on him and had prophecies said about his usage of gifts. Sometimes we think of that as being a, a supernatural thing that, you know, pull somebody up here, I'll put hands on them, and I'll say a, a word of spiritual prediction. Someday you are going to do great things, and I decree it to be the case, like, uh, you know, something that, that is, is supernatural. But the word can also be used for just exhortation and encouragement. Like, I see the people up here leading worship, and I think it's wonderful that they're using their gifts. And I say to them later, thank you so much for coming and practicing and, and being willing to spend your time on the stage. And, and, and the guy, I don't even know his name, who did the communion meditation. It's one of the best, there you are. It's one of the best communion meditations I've ever heard. And encouraging someone in that way would fit what these leaders did for Timothy. They not only did it for Timothy, they did it about Timothy to Paul because they saw his potential for outstanding service. Let's go to verse 3. It says, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, and who wouldn't after you heard such good things about him? So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew his father was a Greek. So there's a level of serious commitment here in verse 3 that is a, a huge obedience step. First, he was willing to leave his mother and father and maybe his grandmother, if she was still alive, to obey God's will. And that's not easy for a young boy to do. He's probably 16 or 17 years old based on some of the language used here and, and later in Timothy's life. The fact that his mother let him go is amazing to me, okay? She couldn't look it up on Google to see where they were going. We'll find out later. They didn't even know where they were going. She let him go somewhere. She never saw pictures of it. She couldn't be promised that he would be safe. She had no idea who Silas was. She had met Paul, maybe, on the first missionary journey. And they're just going to let her young boy go. We don't know if he's an only child. We're not told he had siblings. He may have been an only child. And Timothy just said, I, I got to go do this. And they're like, okay, son, you can go do that. Let's pause for just a second. You do know that in Christian education today, the number one influence on whether a young person 
will go to a Christian college is not the person themselves. It's not the kid. And it's not the minister, although you'd think it would be. It's the mother. I mean, it's the mother. And mothers here, I mean, I'm married. I know what my wife and I have talked about. Our kids, you know, fortunately stayed close to home where they went to college. But we've also said to them, we don't know where you'll wind up. And it's okay. You go do what the Lord wants you to do. And we will be 100% behind you. And so, you know, our baby's in Nashville. And we don't get to see him very often. We saw him yesterday. Praise the Lord. Got to spend some time with him. And we'll see him graduate this weekend. And when he's done with that, I don't know how often we'll see him. But that's okay because he's doing something. Went to a Christian college at Central. Went to a Christian college in Nashville to continue his work of, of making music and, and blessing other people's lives and leading worship and things like that. She lets him go. He's willing to go. His father's willing to let him go. Now, his father had some degree of control over Timothy's life because it says that Timothy had not been circumcised because his father was a Greek. I perceive that his father sort of ran the family. And if dad said, you're not going to, you can be Jewish, but you can't be circumcised. Timothy's like, okay, dad, I'll, you know, I'll do what, I'll do what you say. And at this moment, when it's time to leave, dad apparently says, okay, you can go too. I see how serious this is. I see these people are wanting you and that you can be helpful to them. Everyone knew that this guy was amazing and he was willing to take the steps to follow. So this young man made a serious commitment to Christ. He left with Paul. He went on a new journey as a leader. You know, the right educational opportunities let people make serious commitments, commitments of their time, commitments of their mind, commitments of their money, even commitments of their purpose. Like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be serious about it. I'm going to make a difference. I was in Colorado last week at a church, and I had people come up to me talking about coming to school. It's like 1,400-mile it's like drive. We've had four kids from that church make the drive from that church to Moberly in the past 20 years because it was important to them. And their minister and, and, I, and their minister graduated from Central in the 1970s. He went to that church. He's been there uh, 42 years and left his home to go there. And I said to the congregation, you know, your minister left Missouri to come here to Colorado. The least you can do is let your kids leave Colorado to go to Missouri for a few years to get trained. I mean, his mother gave him up for the rest of his life to do the ministry. And his mother raised five amazing young men, all of whom went to the ministry, and two daughters who married ministers. And at her funeral, I sat in the congregation and heard her oldest son say this, Our mom taught us that serving the Lord was the best thing we could do with our lives, and we believed her. That's the kind of influence that can be had when people will make a serious commitment. And we see it here. What, what's your serious commitment that you need to make? It might not be going to college, and it might be. Who are you looking up to? Who are you getting to know? Who are you encouraging to do great things for the Lord? Who are you willing to give up, making a hard choice of obedience that will shape someone's entire life? We may not all leave our family and go to college or the mission field or the ministry, but God calls us all to be serious for him. Timothy makes serious commitments. Number two, second growth area, scriptural convictions. 
scriptural convictions. Let's pick it up, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to repeat part of verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to go, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Let's stop first with the one that's the most awkward to talk about. This is a scriptural conviction that Timothy had. As a Jew who was faithful to the Lord, he believed he should be circumcised. And you might say to yourself, now, why would he need to be circumcised? Like, who would ask? Who would know? What would be the difference? Well, they did ask. Because if you were Jewish, it was something you described. I mean, go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about his circumcision. You know, I was circumcised on the eighth day. It's a sign of commitment. It's a sign of being convicted that the Scripture which demanded it was to be obeyed. And Timothy had waited and waited and waited because his dad wouldn't let him. But if he was going to go with Paul and Silas to preach to the Jews and, and present himself as a faithful Jew who had accepted the Messiah as his Lord and Savior, he had to be a faithful Jew. He had to take the Scripture seriously and be convicted that it was true. The Jews were separate. They were holy in this way. And so Timothy said, yeah, I need to do that. And he did. And then verse 4, it says, As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So, so Paul had, uh, Timothy had convictions about holiness there in verse 3. In verse 4, he has a conviction about unity. Now, this is a little harder to unpack, but, but it's really interesting to see. It says the decisions reached by the apostles. To see that, you've got to go back to chapter 15. So flip back one page in your Bible to chapter 15, and you will see the very first letter written that it was Scripture. It's a very short letter. I believe it's about five verses long. In verse 23, it's written by the church at Jerusalem to the Gentile Christians. And it's a letter that describes to them the rules they do and don't have to follow in order to be faithful Christians. Verse 23, they wrote, From the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. And then they go through a description of what the burden is. Verse 29, you must abstain from food sacrificed to idols from blood, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. Don't you wish every sermon was that short? Like, that's easy. Okay, you've made it clear. Here I am. Here's what we decided. Here's your four rules. Goodbye. I mean, that's what it is. And these people take it, these guys, Paul and Silas, and then Timothy. It says in verse 4, town to town, they delivered those decisions. So it's like, guys, we got a message. We got a scripture for you to read. And the, the effect of it was it unified the church. The churches were divided on these topics. There were some churches that said, well, we can't have people in the church that aren't following the law. They'll just do anything. And some churches would say, well, well, we can follow this part of the law because it makes sense, but that part of the law doesn't make sense. And, and the apostles and elders came together to say, here's the four things. You shouldn't have uh, be eating blood. You shouldn't be eating food sacrificed to idols. You shouldn't eat things that have been strangled, which would be would have been a disrespectful killing of the animal that was done in um, some pagan cults and sexual immorality. And and if you can keep those rules as a as a Gentile, you don't have to keep the rest of the law. The rest of it's not important. And so they unified the church. And then verse five says the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. When you see in the faith, you might think that they were getting, you know, more 
more confident, more, uh, you know, more steps of faith. But actually, in this passage, strengthened in the faith, talks about the content of the faith. The faith once for all delivered. The knowledge of the faith. They knew more about the faith that they were asked to, to follow. And so Timothy had convictions about the church that were shared with the church, and they, and they were able to follow those things. This is what Paul's plan had been from the beginning. Back in chapter 15, verse 36, he says, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Are they still following? Do they need more information? What can we do to help them? And then verse 41, they traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The church needs to be stronger, and one of the ways it's stronger is when ministers come and share the Word of God. It's the Word of God that strengthens the church, okay? Your fishing tournament's great. I'm not a fisherman, but our, our church should do that because we've got lots of fishermen. Fishing tournaments are a wonderful way to pull people together. Fishing tournament gets people together so you can teach them the Word of God later. It's the Word of God that strengthens the church. Women's tea is great. I love women's tea when they come together. We have a women's banquet at the college. We bring them together and they have a wonderful time together. But what strengthens them is the word of God that they learn while they're there or after they're there. We can strengthen the church through God's word. Timothy did that. The church was strengthened. What about you? What's strengthening your scriptural confidence? Do you know the Bible as well as you should? Is what you know changing your behavior? Are you taking what you're learning from reading the scripture, as our communion meditation did today, and teaching others in some way so your learning can be shared with those around you? One thing I like to say, and I'll never get tired of saying it, scripture is the one thing and the only thing you can learn today that you know will still be true the day you die. Everything else you learn today could change. Math has changed. Any parents try to help your kids with math lately? Math has changed. Science changes. History changes. Grammar changes. Ministry changes. Ministry is different today than it was when I was in Bible college. But the Bible hasn't changed. And when we learn that, we strengthen the church. When you learn that, you take steps of growth that make you more impactful and more active in a participation in the church. All right, those are your first two. Let's go to the third one, and I promise this will be the shortest one. The, the third growth area for Timothy was social connections. The rest of Acts chapter 16 traces the travels of Timothy. There's so many things we could talk about in chapter 16. That's the real fun. We could have mentioned the fact that they went to 11 destinations in just a few short weeks, and that's without being on a cruise ship. I mean, that's hard enough to do when you're on a cruise and you go to 11 ports of entry in 12 days. They were doing this on foot. They went throughout that region. They didn't know where they were going. They found new people that they changed for the gospel. But to me, the most amazing part of this is the social connections that Timothy made with Paul, Silas, and later Luke, who gets picked up. And think about this. Paul, Silas, and Luke together wrote 58% of the New Testament chapters. And Timothy was just hanging out with them just every day. Wake up in the morning, there's Paul, Silas, and Luke learning from them, finding out, you know, how they drink their coffee, all the kinds of things that when you're around people you can do. He saw what these men were willing to give to the Lord, and that made a deep impression on him. And even though Timothy's not named in this chapter after verse 3, 
He's there, and we'll find out later why we know that he was there. But the social connections that he got here allowed him to grow in so many ways. Let me just give you three quick ones. They had to make a group decision. Verses 6 through 12, they're trying to decide where to go. And I love how this verse goes. Verse 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7, they tried to go to Mysia and Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. Verse 8, they went by Mysia, went down to Trez. I'm sure everybody was saying, let's, let's stop there. Let's go here. Why don't we try these people? And for some reason, they just kept going. And finally, Paul has a dream, verse 9, of a Macedonian man who says, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia. Now think about that. He saw the vision, not them. One man saw the vision and said, hey, I had a dream last night. It said we should go to Macedonia. And everybody else said, well, okay, let's go to Macedonia. They had to get in a ship. They had to pack their stuff up. They had to figure out where they were going to go in Macedonia. Together they came to that conclusion because they were out of, out of, out of road. They'd come to the end of the road. They had to go by ship somewhere, and they were going to go there. And they found amazing opportunities in Macedonia when they arrived. But imagine how Timothy watched that happen. And he saw mature men who had to figure it out and learn how to make group decisions. He was growing in his social connections. He was growing in his substitute families. Verses 12 to 15. He's on the road. He's away from mom and dad and grandma. And the first place they go is to a family with a woman named Lydia Verse 14, a God-fearing woman named Lydia was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I don't know what other choices they had. But over the next few weeks, he learned hospitality from a family that wasn't his. And we find that in the body of Christ. We find the love and support of people in the body of Christ is something we have to grow into. By nature, we want to provide it for ourselves. We want to take care of ourselves. We don't want somebody to help us. We don't want somebody to host us. But when we allow those things to happen, it makes us stronger as well. And then the one that, that you know, is the, the closest to the Christian college experience is what happens in Philippi. So they go to this town. They start a church. Paul and Silas get thrown in prison, as you probably remember that story. They're singing. They're released. But at the end of chapter 16... The authorities tell Paul and Silas they need to leave. So watch what happens. Chapter 16, verse 39. They came to appease them, and escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. Okay, so it was like this. You're in trouble. Now you're not in trouble, but you need to leave, and leave town before you get in trouble again. And so verse 40, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Paul and Silas, the two leaders, gone. Luke and Timothy, the two followers, left behind to run the church, to preach, to minister, to pick up the pieces, to deal with the aftermath of the two guys who left. I mean, that happens in churches from time to time. You don't like it when it does. We call this the baptism by fire. You know, the situation is unpredictable, and who knows what's going to happen to this church, and the youngest guy is in charge? Well, how did it turn out? Interestingly enough, Paul closes the story in Philippians chapter 2, which is in the prison epistles, and if you win that commentary back there, you can read about it, but I'm going to read you the story. Philippians 2, 20 to 22, Paul writes back to that church and says, 
this about Timothy. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Others seek their own interests, but you know his proven, proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. How do they know his proven character? Because he was with them. And why was he a kindred spirit? Because he was with them. He spent months with them after Paul and Silas left, building relationships, learning the needs of the church, the struggles, the, the hardships, the new believers, the old Jews who were coming into the church, all of it. And now he was able to be sent. What about your social connections? How are you discovering new groups that you can work with to see God's influence on your life? How are you showing hospitality or receiving it when someone wants to offer it? How are you working alongside of those in the church to do a job that needs to be done? Something maybe outside of your comfort zone or maybe something in your comfort zone, but you're just kind of resistant to get involved because you're afraid that it might be more than you think you can handle. Who knows how much you grow when you make those social connections for yourself? I like to tell the story of how my oldest son met his wife at Christian College. So for the first six weeks, they were, you know, freshmen together. And she was living in, you know, one dorm and he was in the other dorm. And, and he saw her and she was quiet and happy and sweet and all the things, you know, that young Bible college girls are supposed to be. And uh, he didn't know kind of how to make his first move. And he would ask her RA questions about her. And her RA would say, oh, yeah, she's really nice. But, you know, you need, to, you need to figure out to do something with her. And it was day of service. And they signed up for the same service project. And that service project was going to a person's home in Macon, Missouri, who was part of the church there. And the home was trashed. And the church had agreed to help clean up the home. So there were people from the church helping, and there were Christian college students helping. And Adam and Val got assigned cleaning out the nasty refrigerator. And so together, you know, they're talking to each other, and they're, you know, holding their nose and taking stuff out of the refrigerator and scrubbing it and trying to get it back in shape so this family could live in this house. And after, you know, an hour and a half of cleaning out a nasty refrigerator, they kind of knew each other pretty well. And they went on their first date the next night. And the rest is history. They got married. And I, and, and I will promise you, they have the cleanest refrigerator of anybody you know. <laughs> but the bond together in the service is what drew them. And, and this is not a, you know, promise you a spouse thing or anything like that, right? This is what the church does. The church comes together socially to do the work. And people grow together and they learn about each other. And they make things happen that they never could have done by themselves. Timothy saw that up front. You can see that as well. So the right opportunities lead people like Timothy to live a faithful life of kingdom ministry. Paul took Timothy on the second missionary journey and the rest was history. I, I could say a lot more about this, but let's, let's try to wrap this up. Christian College brings social connections with fellow students, missionaries, ministers, teachers, local churches. Christian colleges encourage scriptural convictions through memorization, archaeology, theology, personal discipleship time, teaching. Christian college generates serious commitments. Following rules takes a commitment. Teaches them to give up their preferences for others. Leaving home takes a commitment. Teaches them to follow God's leading instead of just sitting around and, and waiting. 
Getting up and going to class shows a commitment versus staying in bed and sleeping. Christian formation groups build transparency and spiritual growth with one another. Supervised ministry experiences at churches like this build practical ministry experience. Just like Paul and Silas took Timothy and trained him in the crucible of that missionary journey, Christian College provides a crucible that men and women can develop their ministry leadership with others. The greatest part of my job as a Bible college president is talking to people who went to Christian colleges 30, 40, 50 years ago, hearing them tell these stories about what they learned about the Scripture from their favorite teacher, how they grew in their own commitment to the Lord while they were there, and the people they met that they're still friends with or related to, even today. And you play an important role in making sure that that continues for generations to come. I hope you'll consider the following ways to participate yourself as you pray for serious commitments from those that are being asked to study for the ministry and pray for God to raise up skilled leaders that will become ministry workers. As, as you make social connections with ministers and ministry workers so you understand what's out there and you see the value of those people coming together and that you include scriptural convictions as part of your stewardship. Pick one or two of the ministries that are faithfully teaching the Bible and do what you can to help them out so they can do the work of strengthening your church. We're going to pray. I want you to think about your next growth step, whether it's in making a serious commitment to the Lord, whether it's growing in your scriptural convictions about the Word of God, or getting more connected to the church so that you can see opportunities to serve and to make an impact on others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the example of Timothy, for the people who shaped his life, and for the people whose lives were shaped by him. And Lord, as we live those things out day after day through ministry education, may we do that for one after another, young man and woman who will make a difference in the churches because of the support of a church like this and people like this. For each heart today, I ask that you will help them grow in their knowledge of Scripture and their willingness to be plugged in and in their commitment to you. And if there's anyone here who needs to bring their heart to you for the first time in submission, may this be a time for them to reflect and think through what it means to make a serious commitment to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.